Hello, this is a partial preview of a premium episode of Blocked Room. Preview, Jesse. Just a preview. Oh, yeah, that you keep yelling at me for how I present it. Anyway, this is a preview version. You're not going to get the whole thing. If you don't listen to the whole thing, what, what are they going to miss out on, Katie? Intersectional pileups, right? Intersectional pileups. So we're going to be talking today about uh, about a Muslim city council in Hammeramic, Michigan, banning mm-hmm. pride yep, flags. Nailed the pronunciation. Yes, banning pride flags. Yep. And we're also going to be talking about a women's spa in the state of Washington that has unsuccessfully tried to remove the penises from the building. If you want to hear the full episode, Wangs and All, go to blockerimporter.org, where for just $5 a month and up, you can get three extra episodes just like this one each and every month, as well as join a great, large, growing community. Either way, hope you enjoy the preview. Hello, Jesse. How you doing? I've been better, Katie. Uh, I've got a little bit of bad news. Oh, no. What's up? <laughs> That was very, very earnest. I'm worried. <laughs> oh, no. Is, are the pigeons back? Uh, Did you eat a bad slice of pizza? Did you get a hole in your cargo shorts? I, I can't even talk about the pigeons. The short answer is yes. Some of the pigeons are sometimes back. Other of the pigeons Ooh. are not back. It's this whole emotionally fraught mess. And um, we're going to set that aside today. I want to talk about our performance review. We have performance reviews? Yeah. Our annual performance review is June 20th. Always has been. Oh. We both we both fly down to uh, Boca, rent out a conference well, room. Well, today's June 21st, I know, so, so I missed we missed it. it. Until a few days ago, I was going to both give us the highest mark possible for a podcast. That's A++++++. But then some news came across my desk that has me questioning not only our performance reviews, but this whole fucking business model. What did you learn, Jesse? <laughs> There's something about your um, intonation today. It's just very like earnest, like you're really putting effort in, and I appreciate that. What did you learn? It's like you sound like you're a te- uh, ESL teacher, like teaching people how to speak English. What did you learn? You're not picking up on the on the sarcasm. That's what's going on here. This is from a June 19th article in an outlet uh, called Pod News, headlined "Spotify Breaks Up with Megan." Who's Megan? And also, you pronounce that word weird. Which Megan? Megan. 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 Um, Here, I bet you can use context clues, but let me just read this. Quote, Archwell, the podcast company owned by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, will not have its contract renewed with Spotify. The decision was mutual, according to a statement. However, speaking on his podcast, Bill Simmons, who is a senior Spotify podcast executive and native Bostonian, I would add, called them fucking grifters. (laughs) Wow. So uh, he's... (laughs) He's really going off mic here. That's interesting. Off script, not off mic. He's going off mic, on mic. Yeah. Um, it continues. Meghan Markle's podcast produced just 12 episodes in a $20 million contract. Oh my God. The Wall Street Journal suggests she may not earn the full amount after not meeting productivity clauses. Pod News has heard from multiple sources that some interviews on the show were done by other staffers with her questions edited in afterwards. Wow. Will Page, former chief economist at Spotify, suggests that Harry and Meghan earned more from Spotify than the most streamed song ever. Blinding Lights by the Weekend, not bad for 12 hours work, he told Sean Lay on BBC Radio 4's The World Tonight. So I do think saying she did 12 hours of work might be unfair, given that it definitely takes more than an hour to produce an hour of audio. I decided to go with a fairly... So like, it would be like 15 hours. (laughs) I went with an even more like you know, generous estimate. I said that imagine 24 Megan Markle puts 10 hours of work into each hour long episode. I ran the numbers. Well, if she's only, if she's, if they're like, if her producers are doing the interviews and she's just reading the questions, that's not 10 hours per episode. I know, but she's a perfectionist. It's probably Is like she? 20 takes just to be like, Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
just go with me here. If she put 10 hours of work into each episode, that would mean that she made $20 million for 120 hours of work or $166,666.67 per hour. Mark of the devil. My next step in our performance review was for me to compare that figure, $166,666.67 per hour, to our own effective hourly wages. Katie, this surprised me because I thought we were doing pretty well. But it turns out we make significantly less than $166,667.67 per hour on this podcast. No, you do. <laughs> well, that's true. I didn't account for our different cuts. So do you think you're, you're doing better than Megan on that front? Obviously not. Uh, this is really funny. Like, honestly, I it's hard for me to feel bad for Spotify because they got absolutely snowed. And it does bring up some, like, bigger issues about Spotify's entire endeavor into podcasting. Gimlet Media, total fucking failure. Uh, they, you know, they bought Joe Rogan's podcast. For so I, I see estimates between 120 and 200 million dollars, and the only thing that seems to have brought them is giant headaches. And and frankly, like Joe's podcast, Don't you think he brings in a lot of money? I doubt it Rogan? because well, okay, I don't know how much he brings in, but I do know that his his listens are significantly down since moving to Spotify only content. And this is across the board for all shows. Like I do have a little bit of insight not into Joe's podcast. But I do have a little bit into what's going on at Gimlet Media and making your and, and taking podcasts from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever the other podcasters are has not been good for any fucking podcast. Yeah. Listens are down because people don't want to use Spotify to listen to podcasts, which like, duh, <laughs> you know, I mean, if Spotify wants to pay us $20 million for a season of our show, I'll take it. Yeah, to be clear, we will take to it. To be clear, yeah, yes. Or I, I don't know, it would depend. Like, what are the fringe benefits? What would it possibly there? depend on? $20 million? <laughs> okay, $20 million, but uh, I will say I listen to Bill Simmons regularly when he's talking basketball, which has been true lately, and I like when he was like, when he called the fucking grifter, I was like, whoa, can he say that? He also uh, said that maybe at one point he'll do a drunk podcast where he tells the story of the Zoom chat he had with Prince Harry about podcasting. I would do anything for Bill Simmons to get drunk and talk about that. I would do anything to, for a recording of Bill Simmons, one of the most successful podcast entrepreneurs ever, trying to tell Prince Harry how to podcast. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet Harry had some advice for him. You know, there. So not just this, like this. Wait, super you said Harry had advice for yeah. Bill Simmons. That's what not, it was. Yeah. yeah, like how to raise twenty million dollars off of twelve hours of work. Uh, so not only do they have this show with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, total fucking failure. Apparently, they put out one season, um, but they also had Spotify. Also had podcasts with like Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, Bruce Springsteen. All total failures you they have the most famous people in the world and people still will not go to spotify to listen to their fucking podcast there's like it's very i wish i better understood this because there's different levels of fandom it, in on paper hundreds of millions of people are quote-unquote fans of barack obama um, and he is he's a very good speaker very charismatic guy i would not really seek out a podcast just because he hosted it there's other I would seek out a podcast by Mike Pesca just because he hosted it. He's much less famous, much less influential. But it's just interesting to think because like the this idea executives have that people will will listen to a podcast because Meghan Markle's on it. Or Oprah. And they should pay her twenty million or Oprah. Also, it's just the Apparently Oprah had a podcast. Never didn't know that. Oprah Oprah had a podcast. You get a mattress. You get a mattress. <laughs> right, right. People are more interested in like 
the Red Scare girls, like you can hear the ice clinking in their glass and you can hear them hitting their vape pens and they have done no preparation. They are probably making more money than the Oprah podcast brought in for Spotify. This is a weird, this is a weird and fickle game. And uh, it's a little depressing because like, I don't know, spread $20 million out across 15 investigative shows. Maybe one of them or two of them will hit it big. You'll have the next serial, but no, just got to give it. You can get people out of jail for that money. Oy vey. Um, uh, Before we get into the guts of this episode, deep in the guts, I also just want to talk about Elon Musk's big new policy shift on Twitter. You saw this, right? I did. He said that uh, cis is the slur, the term cis. (laughs) Should we call it the C word? The C word. But then what do we do with cut? What's cunt called now? The cunt word? You can't say that, Jesse. <laughs> I'm, br- if, uh, I'm British. <laughs> Australians, I think. Or, uh, that's, the, that's the language that comes from. Yeah. So Elon Musk announced this yesterday. He said that, and he just, he, he'll just like say these things offhand in like a reply to a random person. He was replying to a guy who was complaining, a gay guy who was complaining that people call him sissy, like trans activists call him sissy. <laughs> C-I-S-S-Y. S-S-Y, We're just using yeah. slurs all over this show today. And Elon... Yeah, let me just read this. It's just funny because it's such like a, a nothing complaint and then it causes. Yesterday, after posting a tweet saying I rejected the word cis and don't wish to be called it, I received a slew of messages from trans activists calling me sissy and telling me that I am cis whether or not I like it. Just imagine if the roles were reversed. Like you calling trans people cis? Is that the role reversal here? And then read Elon's response. I found this very funny. Repeated targeted harassment against any account will cause the harassing account to receive at minimum temporary suspicions. Then he says, the words cis or cisgender are considered slurs on this platform. (laughs) I think this shows you that he, that Elon really lives in a bubble because he must follow accounts that that continually repeat this like cis is a slur, which I don't think it is. At all. Like, I think there's a, a better argument that turf is a slur. Sis, I don't think it's a slur. I think it can be annoying when people call you that. And I can understand why people are annoyed with the word because, like, it there's already words for the word sis. They are men and women, male and female. But – Well, it just – it also, like, presumes stuff about gender identity that not all of us totally. believe. I, I yeah. find it annoying. The idea that it's a slur or that – it's it's just so funny because in any other context, Elon Musk would be like snowflake this, snowflake that. Now he's like, we'll suspend you for calling someone cis. Like he just has no uh, principles about anything. He do- no, he doesn't have any principles about it. And then he and he like still maintains that he is like the free speech guy. But once again, like he has seen a lot of people say cis is a slur, so he believes it is a slur. So now what? It's banned from the platform. He didn't actually say that the term was banned, but he said it's a slur. But slurs aren't are slurs banned from the platform? Are, but what does that mean? Are considered slurs on this platform? Like you, you just like unilaterally that decides that a word is a slur. Is does he have the power to do that? Can you imagine working for Twitter, like, and and you just have to like? It, I mean, it's sort of the same thing. Actually, ha- I mean, people have made this comparison before, but like people who worked in like federal agencies would find out about a new policy because Trump would tweet right. it. There's a version of that going on here. It must be exhausting. Right. But of course, I tweeted about this last night, once again, pointing out that the free speech guy is not the free speech guy. And of course, like clockwork, every time a bunch of people show up in my mentions telling me about how I'm wrong and Elon can can do no wrong. And like, it's just, can I just feel like people are blinded because of this weird polarization where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It, it's it, He's such a weird guy to be like a cultish figure because there's the... Marked lack of any sort of charisma. He's like a cult figure because he developed some impressive technology 
none of us understand and because he bought twitter to own the libs therefore did he actually di- i mean did he i don't know no i don't think he. i don't even know i don't even know the details of that that's just the mythology yeah he like bought tesla after it, he didn't found tesla he didn't develop the yeah, yeah no yeah. spacex he founded spacex but he did not found tesla what if when you honk the horn it says don't call me sis <laughs> sis is a slur Speaking of following the rules, one other thing we want to talk about, you want to talk about, Roxanne Gay. Yes, Jesse. Friend of the pod. So Roxanne Gay, she has a an advice column for the New York Times. It's called Work Friend. It's questions about being in a place of employment, which I find kind of interesting. I'm not sure how many places Roxanne Gay has actually worked, except she was a professor at Purdue, and then she's like a writer. And she's at Rutgers now, I guess, as a professor, which I didn't know. Oh, is she? Okay. So... uh. This latest column, it's like the Pride edition. The title is of the column is Pride at Work is Priceless, but it's nice to be paid. And there are a bunch of different questions. I will say all of the questions are pretty stupid, <laughs> but every single answer is incorrect. Especially so there's one from a person who works in medical care who's pissed that the doctor they work for won't fire a transphobic and homophobic patient. The doctor will schedule the patient. On days when this person, this letter writer, isn't working. So the doctor is making accommodations. So this person who presumably is trans and maybe gay as well, or either or, I don't know, queer, uh, doesn't have to see the patient, which to me seems like a pretty good accommodation. But the letter writer is pissed that the doctor won't fire the patient. And I'm just going to quote Phoebe Maltz-Bovey here. She wrote a column about this in her newsletter. Archie Bunker deserves healthcare too. Like if you are the type of person who thinks people shouldn't re- retrieve, re- receive healthcare because they're assholes, you shouldn't be in healthcare. And this is a problem. Like this is definitely a problem in healthcare. My wife is a nurse. There is a like you are dealing with people. She bathes. She bathes a racist Trump supporter. Right. You and she does that on her free time. That's just for fun. Uh, you are dealing with people from every walk of life. You are dealing with racist people. You are dealing with junkies. You are dealing with meth heads. You are dealing with Everybody, fucking everybody, you're doing with rich billionaires in some in some cases. You have to deal with everybody if you work in healthcare. There are some places where you like patients will actually get fired from their clinic or whatever if they're abusive to the staff. But if you walk into an emergency room or something like that, they can't deny you healthcare. That is specific to emergency rooms. But anyway, I just think that if you work in healthcare, you need to suck up your own emotional response to the fact that you work with assholes because that is just a part of the job. It's your job. Did did the things. Did she say, did the letter writer say um, what exactly this bigoted patient did? No, of course not. I mean, I guess there's probably some people who are so antisocial that they, they're like, they just walk into the office like, give me one of those queer vaccines. I'm also, <laughs> I have to say, I'm like curious exactly. That would, because that to me, that the answer depends on what they did. If they're like using slur, I don't know how likely this is, using slurs during a medical exam, they should get at least, they should get a warning. For sure. At a certain point, I don't want healthcare workers to be inflicted with true abuse. I mean, they are abused and like, you kind of can't prevent that. If somebody is- I'm just saying they should be abused economically. I'm fine with that, with it being like underpaid and overworked, but bad words are another thing. Right. No, I mean, you just- like being married to somebody who works in healthcare, like they are, they are abused. They get abused, and it is a really, really shitty yeah. fact of life. And you know, if you work in a hospital, like maybe if it's like gets physical or too too abusive, like maybe they'll call security on you. But like everybody in this country should be entitled to healthcare, just no matter how fucking shitty. Like 
prisoners, rapists, murderers, they get health care too. You know, they might be not when I'm president. To a gurney with a, yeah, they might have a handcuff, you know, be handcuffed to the bed, but they also get a get health care. You cannot deny people health care based on how shitty they are. Roxane Gay, however, thinks that if, you know, the person can't work under the, these conditions, they should quit. And that seems to be the theme of, of her answers to these to these letter writers. Like, if you don't, like, you should quit. You should take your ball and go home. But there's one besides this medical person that bothered me even more. Okay, let me read you the, the letter. Is it okay when first talking alone with a new colleague to ask pronouns to ensure you are referring to them correctly if it hasn't already bro- been broached? Here's Roxane Gay's answer. Yes, it is more than okay to ask about pronouns. It demonstrates that you are caring and considerate and recognize that gender exists on a spectrum. We cannot assume that how someone presents is how they identify. Asking about pronouns simply removes any ambiguity and ensures that you're always referring to your colleagues in the manner they prefer. Jesse, no. It does not demonstrate that you are caring and considerate. The only thing that this demonstrates is your political affiliation because no Republican has ever asked anybody's pronouns unless it is to make fun of them in the history of the fucking world. This might make a tiny minority of people feel cared for, but it's going to make many other people feel like you can't tell the difference between men and women or that you somehow think that, like, the 60-year-old father of two at the water cooler looks like a girl. This is offensive to people. And because Roxane Gay is apparently more enlightened to us, she doesn't seem to understand this. She doesn't seem to see the possibility that people would be actually offended by this question. This reminded me of a Washington Post column from a couple years ago where a doctor was talking about the need to ask patients their pronouns. And the doctor said in this column, my patients don't like this. It makes them uncomfortable. It's important to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It is that sense of like they're they're, the enlightened ones trying to like teach the truth to all of us. I also like... I don't know if you have if you have a, a pronoun that genuinely might not be obvious. I'm just I can't speak from experience here, but I can imagine not wanting to be asked about it. Maybe you want to like divulge it in your own time on your own schedule. Yeah, no, totally. Like if somebody asks me my pronouns, which granted hasn't happened in a while, it used to have fucking happen though. But now that I don't leave my house, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, here's my plan: the next time this does happens. Jana not ask you in the morning what your pronoun is? Today? She's got them down by now. It's taken a while, but she's got them down. The next time somebody asks me my pronouns, I'm going to say, "What do you think?" And I'm going to make them go through, like, I'm going to watch the wheels turn in their brain. Okay, the name is Katie, but she's got short hair. She's wearing pants. She's married to a woman. Well, no, they'll just say, no, they'll have a stock response, which is that it'll be what Roxanne Gay says. Like, you can't, you can't tell. There's no way to know. It, that is fucking ridiculous. I'm not going to answer the question. I will refuse to answer the question. I will make somebody go through go through the list in their head, try to put what stereotypes what, what fit, fit which pronoun. And, like, once again, I, feel, I think this is more and more common the if you go to the comments and you go to reader picks the reader picks the top readers pick is makes way more sense than the actual column itself let me just read you to the, read you this this whole pronoun issue is getting on my nerves more and more. Yes, I am male, middle-aged, and maybe shouldn't care, but I do. Who makes up these rules? We are now supposed to ask about pronouns in everyday communication as an icebreaker? This is insane. And quite frankly, it risks alienating even well-meaning, and I'm going to use a slur here, Jesse, sis, folks. It is pretty self-centered and maybe even egotistic to expect the vast majority of society to learn yet another piece of newspeak just to accommodate the idiosyncrasies of a small minority. Anyway, 
That's true. This is correct. And like this is part of why this bothers me so much is that this letter writer is right. It does alienate people. And like we can already see on polling that people are less in favor of things like gay rights and trans rights than they were just a few years ago. And I think this is part of it. Yeah. People like Roxanne Gay are imposing these rules on the rest of us that we don't fucking want. We didn't ask for The shit is inorganic. It feels imposed and it is causing a backlash. We'll, we'll get back to that theory. I, I will say like, I mean, I've had a couple very negative interactions with Roxanne Gay, who's completely beloved among a lot of people on Twitter, but also like- And terrifying. I reported uh, this story for New York Magazine in 2019 about the meltdown of her tour, this speaking tour she did with Christina Hoff Summers in Australia. Oh, and yeah. it really struck me that she called Christina Hoff Summers a white supremacist. That's like a really fucking serious accusation and one that people will take quite, quite seriously uh, when it comes from Roxanne Gay. And she just didn't really seem to care that there was no evidence that was true. I think the Steelman version was that Christina Hoff Summers went on a Swedish podcast without checking. Um, and they had some sort of alt-right or white supremacist affiliation, but it was like, it. all the evidence is that it's an innocent mistake. Christina Hoff Summers is like a conservative or a classical liberal, whatever you want to call her. She's not a white supremacist. I don't know. That stuck with me. I'll include a link to the- I wouldn't even call her a conservative. She's like a Biden Democrat. Um- Whatever. She's somewhere in there. Somewhere middle-ish is the point. Uh, and I just, I don't know. That that bugged me. Uh, also, it was a really crazy story. So I'll include a link in the show notes so folks can read that. Yeah, I find Roxanne Gay terrifying. And I want to say that this is not because she is a large black woman. But in a way, it sort of is. Not because I am like inherently terrified of large black women. But it's because that puts her on the top of the progressive stack in a way that gives her this power that offending her or insulting her or criticizing her is to me feels a little bit more risky because she like I think she even says in her Twitter bio she claps back and like I don't want to be at the bottom of a Roxanne Gay pylon yeah okay should we should we move on to the the main event yeah so yeah we're going to talk a little bit more about these uh culture war issues involving this LGBT stuff like how much of the what this backlash has to do with basically that question and these like interesting alliances and enmities are forming so we're going to talk about this this controversy in a Michigan town named Hamtramck. And we're also going to talk about a, another intersectional pileup in your neck of the woods in Washington. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So first, uh, The Guardian. A sense of betrayal. Liberal dismay as Muslim-led U.S. city bans pride flags. This is about a town named Hamtramck, Michigan. We have... Sh- Struggled with pronunciation on the show. I found a Michigan-specific website that said that's how to pronounce it. That's what I'm going with. Hamtramck. Here's how the article starts. In 2015, many liberal residents in Hamtramck, Michigan, celebrated as their city attracted international attention for becoming the first in the United States to elect a Muslim-majority city council. They viewed the power shift and diversity as a symbolic but meaningful rebuke of the, I guess, to the Islamic rhetoric that was a central theme of then-Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump's campaign. This week, many of those same residents watched in dismay as a now fully Muslim and socially conservative city council passed legislation banning pride flags from being flown on city property that had, like many others being flown around the country, been intended to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I will say that this seems to ban like all political flags. Uh, it, I think it was clearly targeted to get the pride flags down, but it was a more general ban. We'll talk about the constitutionality in a minute. One of the key quotes comes from here. 
There's a sense of betrayal, said the former Hamtramck mayor, Karen Majewski, who is Polish-American. We supported you when you were threatened, and now our rights are threatened, and you're the one doing the threatening. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think of that, Katie? Just that quote. Allah Akbar, I am thrilled to hear about this. The infidels are going down, baby. Um, yeah, this is this is sort of funny because this is the inevitable final resting place of of identitarianism is <laughs> you assume that because people are Muslim, because they're brown, they're going to share your values. Yeah. And that reveals a real lack of understanding about uh, about Islam, about my personal faith. Um, we do not like the gays. We don't. Well, some of you, there's huge, I'm not trying to just be a, a liberal cuck here. We, yeah, no, <laughs> no you, we the devout, <laughs> we throw them off of buildings. This is what we do. Okay. <laughs> I can say this as both a Muslim and a homosexual. <laughs> it's the most unexplained part of bar pod canon. There's like the horse sex thing. That by makes comparison, sense. there's like rich lore. <laughs> this just sort of popped up that you're Muslim. Um, just a little bit of background on Hamtramck. The Garden explains it's a city of about 28,000, used to be dominated by Ukrainian and Polish Catholics. Quote, by 2013, largely Muslim Bangladeshi and Yemeni immigrants supplanted the white Eastern Europeans. Though the city remains home to significant populations of those groups, as well as African-Americans, whites, and Bosnian and Albanian Americans, cities 30 to 38% are Yemen, Yemeni, 24% Asian, largely Bangladeshi. So the article is like about this weird clash where the city government used to be controlled by one faction, white liberals that saw themselves as fighting Trumpy Islamophobia, and therefore they sought to be inclusive and respectful toward their Muslim neighbors. Then the tide turns and the city council is dominated by Muslims, and they don't seem quite as enthusiastic about inclusivity or at least about waving pride flags. So it does get to this clash you mentioned that we've discussed a lot on the show. Like white lefties have particularly strong views on certain social issues that I I think it's safe to say like go well beyond sort of just general acceptance of LGBT people or tolerance. Some of these views go well beyond just wanting to reform the police and make them better. And they often, I think, bleed over into areas that like do – elicit a backlash from more socially conservative populations. But there's also just like a lot of social conservatives who just don't like gay people and don't like gay marriage. So I feel like it's it's complicated to get a hold on like exactly what's going on with this backlash here and elsewhere, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, I guess that we're like we're far enough away from the war on terror that maybe – Muslims are like I don't I don't actually know. I tried to find some polling yesterday, like current polling on how Muslims feel about things like gay marriage. The only the like most recent polling I could find was from 2017. Um and so I would be really curious to see how these like recent culture wars, all the trans stuff has changed Muslims' opinions on these things, but maybe we're far enough from the from like the war on terror now and so that like the collective Muslim imagination is forgetting about like how like actually very racist uh, Republicans were towards them, and maybe they will turn. Yeah. Maybe they will turn towards the Republicans, which would be very interesting to see. One of the weird like subplots of all that was like there was absolutely insane shit going on, like genuine Islamophobia during that period. George W. Bush, as bad as he was, was not. I didn't think he was like a main offender. Like he bombed. He bombed a lot of Muslims for sure. He also gave a lot of aid money. Yeah, he did kill a million of them. Well, but yeah, it's weird because he just picked and chose which Muslims he wanted to kill versus yeah. get into close alliances with like how many billions of dollars did the Saudis get so it's like it's an oversimplification to be like he bombed Muslims like 
he bombed Muslims. Yeah, like it, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It was just. It wasn't about like. Yeah, I don't think it was. It was like his his bombing Muslims wasn't based based in like religious animus. His racism towards brown people. Yeah, religious no. animism. It was much more pragmatic in a way. Yeah, uh, and but younger listeners might not remember that during this period, like the most deranged Republicans were very deranged on Muslims, and it was very nasty. Totally, and it included things like the to me, ridiculously trumped up, quote-unquote, ground zero mosque debate, other attempts to prevent Muslims from building mosques. Like, just the craziest conservative people really latched onto the idea that al-Qaeda posed a existential threat to the United States, which is, in retrospect, an embarrassing belief. And there were constant rumors about Sharia law popping up on U.S. shores. Mm-hmm. And um, Which, hey, now uh, conservatives might be down with some Sharia law. That's what's so weird about this. Yeah, so the other thing that happened during this period that younger listeners also might not be aware of is that liberals who criticize Islam, who had very valid reasons to criticize Islam on things like human rights, women's rights, the treatment of gay people, were considered bigots for critics like Sam Harris, uh, Bill Maher. Uh, you know, it became sort of taboo to criticize this religion that even though I'm a part a part of it, should be open to criticism. There are some pretty fucked up views within within the. I mean, the, dude, the, the Charlie Hebdo thing. Just yeah, should go back and see what like actual what opinions people would assign, like put their name on the most deranged responses to Charlie Hebdo. Much more recent, yeah. even than like Bush era stuff. So you had liberals out of this like response to conservatives being racist and Islamophobic towards towards Muslims, adopting these also very bizarre views that you can't criticize a faith that is. Famed for human rights abuses. I guess it might be more complicated because it's like the governments who are committing the abuses, not the religion itself. But still, nobody can argue that Islam is a progressive faith. No, I mean, look, there's 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 wide variety, different forms of Islam. They often intermix with local practices. Many of the local practices of which are are backwards and disgusting. But yeah, I think that's been a blind spot for liberals too. But this has now ended up in a weird place where like, um conservatives are now embracing conservative Muslims who used to be their arch enemies as allies in the war on wokeness. This is part of this weird title right. shift that's been noted by smart folks. Like David. That's it. That's the full preview. If you want to hear the rest, go to blockroomfort.org and sign up to become a primo. Thank you for listening.